Yo Pots. Check out Meet Mitch and Leawood for award-winning barbecue, outstanding atmosphere, and your destination to watch all your favorite March Madness action. Tailgating for opening day? Place your order online and pick up on way to the game. Meet Mitch Barbecue, East 95th and Mission in Ranch Martin North Shopping Center. Welcome in to our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB and simulcasting on ESPN Wichita. I am your host, Jack Johnson, broadcasting live from the Power and Light District right next door to the T-Mobile Center, where later on tonight it'll be a 1-2 matchup between the Kansas Jayhawks and the Texas Longhorns meeting in the Big 12 Championship. It has been a wild and chaotic week. It's been a lot of fun. If you were at the games last night, I think it would almost hammer in the point that this tournament never needs to leave leave Kansas City. Uh, If you were at the KU-Iowa State game, you would understand how much this type of event means to both those fan bases. That was arguably one of the best environments T-Mobile Center has had in a couple of years. Uh, Whenever you have a Kansas-Iowa State matchup, you know it's going to be packed. You know it's going to be loud. It's going to be a rivalry type of atmosphere. And though KU and Iowa State, I think, lost it for a couple of years in the absence of the Fred Hoiberg days, it really felt like it was back last night. But Kansas wins by 13, moves on to the title game. In the aftermath of that game, you had Texas and TCU in the nightcap, and it was the Longhorns squeaking past the TCU Horn Frogs in a rock fight. So it will be Kansas and Texas in round three. Still a little bit quiet down here at the Power and Light District, but of course it only is 10 a.m. I'm sure it will get rocking here in a couple of hours with Kansas fans filling back in and probably some Iowa State fans that are still here to watch the championship game. I don't think many fan bases have left. Uh, you still see a lot of support from even teams like Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. It's been a very fun week down here in kansas city but we do have a jam-packed show for you over the next two hours we'll have Braden turner of the ain't no seats podcast joining us at 10 30 at 11 o'clock we'll be joined by ryan gilbert of gopowercut.com and at 11 30 we'll be joined by drew king to talk some missouri basketball as they are in the semifinals game after their win over tennessee Yesterday afternoon, they'll be taking on the top-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide right at the conclusion of our show. So right before the Tigers tip off, we'll get a little bit of inside on Dennis Gates and his squad before they take on one of the best teams in the country. But to kick off our show, before we get into our guests and get more specific about KU, K-State, and Missouri, let's take a quick peek at the 68-team bracket that Joe Lunardi put out this morning it updates every single day and see if we have any other different matchups where maybe the top teams these local teams are falling for march madness right now lunardi has kansas as the number one overall seed and they would be playing in the midwest region of course which will put them in des moines for rounds one and two the round of 64 and round of 32 and if they were to get past those two rounds those two games they would be playing in kansas city uh, for a chance to go to houston in the final four but right now Lunardi has Kansas as the number one overall seed in the Midwest region I would probably say win or lose tonight Kansas is going to be the number one overall seed and they would be in the Midwest region I don't see why a loss to Texas would bump them any lower and that's even if Houston wins their conference tournament the American tournament I think that's even if if Alabama wins the SEC tournament I don't think there's really a debate at this point. 
with Kansas and their 17 quad one wins, uh, you don't want to be too biased, but it kind of feels like they have the resume at this point, and all they really had to do down here in Kansas City was get to the championship game. Now, you don't want to take your foot off the pedal here and play laxed against a Texas team that humiliated you last weekend in Austin. I mean, if you get by with another win against Texas, then it's no debate. You don't have to leave anything up to chance at that point. You win tonight, you accomplish something that by the Vegas standards, by the betting odds, was harder to do than reach the Final Four. It was more difficult to win three games, three or four games in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament, noted as the best conference in college basketball, than it would be to make the Final Four. And I think it's hard to argue against those odds, right? Because if you're Kansas and you're a number one seed, your first two matchups may be very favorable. And their first two matchups in Kansas City have been incredibly difficult. They've gotten an eight or a ninth seed matchup in West Virginia, and they've also gotten Iowa State, who's a five seed right now per Joe Lunardi. And then you get Texas tonight, who's projected to be a two seed. Now, Kansas wins tonight by the betting odds. That is more difficult to do than reaching the Final Four. So you don't want to take your foot off the pedal here if you're Kansas because the last time you took your foot off the pedal, look what Texas did to you. They humiliated you. They kicked your ass. They ran you up and down the floor, and you're a team that loves to play in transition. It wasn't a a well-played game early on both ends. It was just more sloppy on Kansas's end. So tonight you have a chance to wipe away those thoughts, let those wash away, and come out and get revenge on this Texas team. But it has been a great few days of college basketball down in Kansas City. Uh, you know, TCU last night, after one of their more impressive performances of the season against Kansas State, and we'll talk about that a little bit with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com, then they come out last night, and they don't have their best performance shooting the ball from deep. That's how quickly things can change, and we've seen that this year all throughout the Big 12. Right? You'll have a team like Oklahoma beat somebody like Kansas State in Norman, and then they'll lose by 20-plus to West Virginia. There was no consistency, it felt like, at the bottom half of the conference, and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it wasn't like you had a consistently awful team in this conference, and that's why people are calling it. Dick Vitale called it the best conference he'd seen in the last two decades because there wasn't a bottom team that everybody just beat up on. You know, Oklahoma nearly beat Alabama by 30 in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. That's how good this conference is. You know, you have a team like TCU, who was the sixth seed down here in Kansas City. They beat Kansas by 23 at Allen Fieldhouse. Now, that's why Vegas looked at this tournament, and it was harder for somebody to win it outright, and somebody obviously has to win tonight. But the odds were always against that. Whoever was going to have to win this championship whether it be Kansas or Texas, it was harder to do because top to bottom, this conference is so loaded. And I think it will be very apparent to people that haven't watched Big 12 basketball in March Madness. There have been down years in the NCAA tournament where the Big 12 has really underperformed. You know, when Shaka Smart was here at Texas, they didn't make it to the Sweet 16. They were getting bounced a lot early. I mean, you go back to the, the COVID year, I believe it was. Texas was bounced in the first round by Abilene Christian. You know, I think this Texas team certainly has a chance to go deeper. I like Rodney Terry a lot. I think Rodney Terry certainly deserves some votes for Coach of the Year because of what he inherited and the situation that he was put in. 
now is still a very incredibly talented team, and we've seen that all year long from the University of Texas. But from where they were at the beginning of the season, it was Chris Beard, no problems there. Then Chris Beard gets in trouble off the court. Roddy Terry has to step in and coach this team through the Big 12. That's why I think when you look at what Jerome Tang has done at Kansas State, it makes it that much more impressive because he took over a roster that returned two or three guys. Ishmael Massoud and Marquise Noel had to rebuild the entire roster, and K-State finished third, a team that was projected to finish dead last. And when you saw how good the Big 12 was night in and night out, it made it that much more impressive that Kansas came away a winner. And Kansas had a chance to win this conference by three games. And we'll be talking with that with Braden Turner of the Ain't No Seats podcast coming up in about 20 minutes or so. We are broadcasting live down here at the Power and Light District. It is championship day later on tonight. It'll be the Kansas Jayhawks and the Texas Longhorns meeting inside the T-Mobile Center, which is about 200 yards from me. Power and Light was bumping last night. Uh, last night, the atmosphere between KU and Iowa State was just phenomenal. I was actually a little bit concerned early on. I think it was with about 10 minutes to go before tip-off. There were still a lot of open seats, and I can't believe I doubted that because as soon as the starting lineups were announced, that place was packed, that place was loud. And if you've never had the chance to come down here to Kansas City and see the Big 12 tournament, I can't even put into words the turnout that Iowa State fans bring to Kansas City. During their pep rally yesterday, you know, how early they were into the stands. It's impressive, man. And it's always been that way. Last year, Iowa State was middle of the pack in the Big 12. Same turnout. Same exact turnout. You know, T.J. Olsenberger's done a hell of a job at Iowa State. You know, you thought for a couple years under Steve Prome that maybe Iowa State was never going to get back to that level of where Fred Hoiberg was at. Man, uh, T.J. Olsenberger quickly wrote all of that off. They are a very dangerous team. If they're a five-seed, in the NCAA tournament, I don't think anybody wants to see them in the second round. Right now, per Joe Lunardi's recent bracketology, he's got Iowa State as the 5, VCU as the 12, playing in the first round in Orlando. They would be in Alabama's bracket, the South region, which would go through Louisville. And the 4 seed in that region would be Virginia. And we saw Iowa State last year take on Miami in the Sweet 16. It could have been Kansas and Iowa State in Chicago with a chance to go to the Final Four. They're a sneaky team, and I think last year much more so. Now they have that credit. Now that they have that support a little bit, and they're not going to catch anybody by surprise, now they're just a damn good team. And they're a team I don't think many teams want to run into. Now, Alabama would not be enjoying the fact that Iowa State would be a five. Hell, they have West Virginia in their region as well as a nine seed. I think if you're a one seed, you want maybe a maximum of one or two Big 12 teams in your conference. You don't want to see West Virginia. You don't want to see Iowa State. You don't want Kansas to be your one seed in the region. You don't want Kansas State to be your three or your four. You don't want Baylor to be your four or your five. Right now, per Joe Lunardi's bracket, he's got Baylor, I believe, as a two seed. Yep, he's got them as a two seed in the East region with Purdue being the one seed overall. Now, Baylor does have that inconsistency that we talked about on our show on Wednesday night, and it makes you concerned about the Bears even making it out of the first weekend because, number one, they can't defend that well. We saw on Thursday afternoon that they couldn't rebound worth a damn against Iowa State. They were out-rebounded 43-15 to and 20-3 to on the offensive glass 
So Baylor's got a lot of flaws. But even the most flawed teams in the Big 12 are more dangerous than a team like Purdue. I would say a team like Baylor is really flawed. I even think Texas has flaws. Hell, KU's got flaws. Kansas State has their flaws, but you don't want to see them. You don't want to see them because for the last two months, they've been battling it out against each other. There have been rock fight type of games where it's 60-63. to There's been shootouts. There's been overtime thrillers. You've had Texas Tech knock off Kansas State in Lubbock. You've had Tech knock off Texas in Lubbock. You've had Oklahoma State have some big wins. Oklahoma's had big wins. West Virginia has had some big wins. And those are all teams on the bottom half of the conference. At times, we don't even need to look at the top half of the conference where you have Kansas, Texas, and Kansas State because they were just the most consistent. But that didn't mean they dominated everybody all year long. Kansas had a three-game losing streak. Kansas State went through a rough patch. Texas went through a rough patch. Baylor had a three-game losing streak. Iowa State had a five-game losing streak. So there were these teams that we saw perform really well in Kansas City, and at the end of it, you just kind of look and go, man, this might have been the most impressive season we've seen in the Big 12 in recent memory. I can't think of a time the Big 12 was this loaded and this prepared going into the NCAA tournament. Kyle, when you look at what's gone on the last couple of days, speaking of Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and now, after all the dust is settled, it's just number one Kansas versus number two Texas, what have been your biggest takeaways about how both these teams have gotten to championship day, which will take place later on tonight? Well, you said it, man. Number one seed versus number two seed, Kansas versus Texas. This was my prediction. I think this was a lot of folks' prediction as well for the championship game in the Big 12 tournament. Um, now, Texas, like you said, they embarrassed Kansas in their home court uh, not too long ago. Currently, the series is 1-1, uh, with Kansas winning uh, earlier in the year uh, uh, by only eight points. I expect this to be a lot closer than the previous matchup. And I, I think if you're a Kansas fan, you're certainly hoping that. And I think everybody's expecting it to be a much closer game tonight between Kansas and Texas. And speaking of predictions... I'm not going to toot my own horn for my predictions. I did have Kansas and Texas. That wasn't a genius type of pick, but it's the way I got to this projection. I was wrong in nearly every single one of my picks. I think I got West Virginia over Texas Tech. Then I picked Oklahoma over Oklahoma State because the spread favored the Sooners. That didn't work out in my favor. I, I took, took Kansas State. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I took the Sooners. I took Kansas State over TCU. That didn't happen. I took Baylor over Iowa State. That didn't happen. The only thing I benefited from is that when the two teams that had buys took on the the winner of the Baylor-Iowa State game and the K-State-TCU game, I just took the higher seat. So I went with Kansas and Texas. So my projections were completely wrong. And I was feeling good. I was gloating a little bit on Wednesday after West Virginia won. But it's not like that was a really tough pick to make either. No, I, I 100% agree with you. And I, I had Baylor winning that game at they disappointed me that night, but Iowa State also impressed me. Yeah, Iowa State, too, they were limping, and I mean limping. Hell, I'm not even going to limping. I'm going to say crawling into the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. Uh, it was ugly for the Cyclones over the last week or two of the season, and then they lost Caleb Grill. I mean, Caleb Grill very well could have been the difference last night for Iowa State. 
Now, I know he was dealing with off-court stuff. He was then dismissed from the program, and you're hoping for the best for a guy like Caleb Grill. But you look at this Iowa State team last night, and though Kansas got the best of them, there were a handful of times last night that Iowa State was on the doorstep. They were banging on the door and had a chance to maybe take a four or five or six-point lead in the game. And I know Iowa State's biggest lead was only one point, and Kansas quickly got it back. But those are the type of momentum-changing moments where the best teams in this conference, they separate themselves. And you go to the SEC as well. I was watching the SEC tournament in Nashville yesterday afternoon and last night. You look at a team like Texas A&M. They trailed by 13 at half to Arkansas. And an Arkansas team, despite having 12 losses, they have one of the best recruiting classes in the country. They have the number one overall recruit in the country, Nick Smith. He's now healthy. He's back. But A&M... They found a way to climb all the way back and upend Arkansas when it was all said and done. You look at a team like Missouri, who we'll talk with Drew King about them at the tail end of our show at 1130. Now, this Missouri team, they're taking on Tennessee. They had upset them in Knoxville on a buzzer beater. But they're just a team now that has evolved so much from their non-conference slate. And, of course, it's always going to happen with good teams. When you look at Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri, I think all of them have evolved so much from that non-conference slate. And I think the difference with all three of those teams, Kansas had a much tougher non-conference schedule. K-State wasn't really battle-tested. Missouri was battle-tested with Kansas, and they got just blown out in Columbia. But from that game, you've seen just how good of a coach Dennis Gates is. You've seen how great of a coach Jerome Tang is. And you've seen, of course, how great of a coach Bill Self continues to be and Norm Roberts filling in for him. He's still undefeated, the perfect 6-0 and when filling in for Bill Self. But on the topic of Missouri, I mean, you look at the way they won last night or yesterday afternoon against Tennessee. You go back a couple of months. Hell, just go back one month. I'm not sure that Missouri just hangs face-to-face. They go toe-to-toe go 10 rounds with a team like Tennessee. But it's that confidence you have after beating a team once. And when they beat Tennessee once, you look at Missouri and go, wow, it's not just a fluke. It's not like they've just found this goal. They they were struck by lightning. Nothing like that. Nothing magical happened to Missouri. They're just now a damn good team. And I was shocked two weeks ago when Joe Lunardi had Missouri as an 8 or a 9 seed. Again, I'm looking at them going, that is the worst potential 8 or 9 matchup for over the number one seed that gets them. And I think right now, as I'm scanning, they have them as the 7 seed in Sacramento against Penn State. I still think that is a too, that is too low of a seed for the Missouri Tigers. I really do. Uh, Missouri being a 7 seed, that's a nightmare draw for a team like UCLA, who's the 2 seed, who may have not been as battle-tested as Missouri. You know, they play in the Pac-12, they play out west, the Pac-12 a bit weak this year. I don't think you want Missouri's a seven. I've always thought they're more so of a five or, five or a six. They beat Alabama at the conclusion of our show. They tip off at 12 over in Nashville. I think you got to bump them up to about a five or a six. But Dennis Gates has done a hell of a job with the Missouri Tigers, and only in year one. I think that the job that Jerome Tang and Dennis Gates have done in just 33 games has been incredible, has oh, yeah. been remarkable. You want to talk about turnarounds in college basketball. You know, I think the transfer portal – makes it easier now i think you go back 10 years and you have to rebuild a program through recruiting and if you can't recruit you can't recruit with the big dogs it's going to take four or five years but fortunately the positive side of the transfer portal is you look at it and go 
okay, if we can have those connections, you make the right hire. A guy like Dennis Gates, he had the connection with Demoy Hodge, who I think next to Kobe Brown is Missouri's best player. He was fantastic yesterday against Tennessee. Led them in scoring with 26, and Brown had 24. And Brown was one of the few guys coming back for the Missouri Tigers. So Dennis Gates brings Demoy Hodge in from Cleveland State, and he's been a star. And I think that's what you can do when you are a first-year head coach at a new program. Or not a first-year head coach. We'll say his first year at the program. And Jerome Tang, you know, all he really had to work with with a starting player was Marquise Noel. You have to bring in a guy like Keontae Johnson, who had sat out a couple of years, had the, the collapse on the floor when he was at Florida, had the heart condition, and then you take a chance on Keontae Johnson, and now he's a Wooden Award finalist. He's one of the guys, one of the best players in the country. He was all Big 12 first team. You go out and you get Naquan Tomlin. You go bring in Desi Sills. You bring in David Gasson. And when you go out through the transfer portal, you can kind of recreate your roster, and that is the positive side of the transfer portal. We, at times, only hear the negative sides of it, the negative connotations of the transfer portal because guys are jumping around from school to school every single year. And I, I think that is, you know, to some programs, very frustrating. You think about a mid-major program, some guys will leave immediately. You know, they come in there for a year or two, they get the publicity, they want to go play at a bigger school. But I think college athletes should have that option, that opportunity. And I wouldn't say that the transfer portal has, you know, changed in terms of how it's done. There's always been guys from mid-major programs, guys from the WAC, guys from the Mountain West, transfer to Power 5 schools. We've seen that for a long, long time. The difference is now it's the amount of players in the transfer portal. Guys are always jumping around. We, we haven't really seen players play at three or four schools over the course of five years. And the COVID season also threw a wrench in that. But I think this is great for college basketball because it allows coaches like Dennis Gates, allows coaches like Jerome Tang to fill out their roster with more than caliber players, elite caliber players. You know, I think Demoy Hodge, elite caliber player. Keontae Johnson, elite caliber player. Ten years ago, K-State and Missouri couldn't have gotten those guys. Maybe more so Hodge going to Missouri because his head coach left for that job. But I don't think Kansas State would have been able to bring in a guy like Keontae Johnson. Hell, if Keontae Johnson was, I guess, more of a sure thing to other Power 5 schools across the country, he may have gone to a team like North Carolina. He may have gone to a Duke. He may have gone to a Kansas. He may have gone to an Alabama. Who knows at this point, but Jerome Tang and his staff, they took a chance on him. They didn't know how it would turn out. They were confident in him. They put their faith in him. And he's been one of the best players in college basketball this year. And that's why, with Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, two all Big 12 guys, they are going to be one of the most difficult three seeds in the NCAA tournament. They were tested in the Big 12, and they have this collection of players now that all quickly came together, too. You know, we'll spend time talking about this Kansas team and what they had to rebuild with a little bit. And I know some fans, K-State and Missouri more importantly, don't want to hear rebuild with Kansas because they have a five-star with Grady Dick. They still brought back Jalen Wilson and Jawan Harris. But we can talk about K.J. Adams, you know, really stepping up after last year, having to fill that role, Kevin McCuller being their main transfer coming over from Tech. I'll go retooling, not so much rebuilding. But with Kansas State and Missouri, I think what is just so impressive about what they've done is that with both those teams, 
early on in non-conference play, when they weren't being tested as much, Missouri didn't play anybody until Kansas. They were undefeated. And I think most people wrote it off as, well, just wait. Wait till they play Kansas. Wait till they get into SEC play. And then the real Missouri Tigers are going to show. You know, there's still going to be the growing pains. There's going to be the bumps in the road. Kansas State, exact same thing. People were impressed about what they had done. They were undefeated. Hey, you can only play who's in front of you. You win those games, that's important. But K-State wasn't tested in the non-conference. They played on the road against Butler, and Butler wasn't very good in the Big East this year. And they lose the Bulldogs. And they play Nebraska and Kansas City. That was about it. Maybe you want to throw in Wichita State. But then when they got to conference play, they never really backed down. They never really had that stretch where they showed the growing pains or the bumps in the road. There were losses, but losses were going to happen. Right, K-State opened up conference play hanging 116 on Texas, who's playing tonight in the Big 12 championship game. You know, Missouri had their slip-ups where they got blasted by Auburn. They lose to Florida. You know, you lose those games to Arkansas and Fayetteville. And and even though Arkansas is a good team, it's like you may look at that and say, okay, well, we're not there yet. That's why we couldn't win on the road there. You can't win in shootouts on the road. But then at the end of the season, you look up at the standings and you go, K-State's the three in the Big 12. Missouri gets a double bye in the SEC tournament. And that's in year one. And not to say it's going to be that level of success every single year. But Missouri and K-State have shown a level of consistency that have not been there, that has not been there over the last five to six years. They've had the moments, you've had the good seasons, but I think these two squads are now better equipped to go far in the NCAA tournament because of the coach at the helm. You know, it's not fool's gold. We're not all being bamboozled by this team. They're not a team that's fraudulent. You know, you don't just walk into 20-plus wins. If you're Kansas State, you got a three seed in the toughest conference in college basketball when you were projected by everyone to finish dead last. Missouri didn't play in as tough of a conference, but still you have a top-ranked team in Alabama. Kentucky is still dangerous. A&M has really thrived this year with Buzz Williams. And you still have tough outs like Arkansas and Auburn. Vanderbilt is playing in the semifinals tonight. Like you do have those teams in the SEC that I think in years past, Missouri would have gotten rolled over by just because they were one of the top teams in the conference. And we'll talk plenty about Jerome Tang and his squad and the Kansas State Wildcats now just looking ahead to Selection Sunday, which you can listen to right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Josh Briscoe and I will go live from 430 to 8. And with Missouri, we will talk with Drew King at the tail end of our show at 1130. They still have a game to be looking forward to today. That will be tipping off at noon against the top-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide. All right, let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, we will talk some KU basketball with Braden Turner of the 8 No Seeds podcast. That's next on our March Madness special show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back in to our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB and on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. We are broadcasting live down here at the Power and Light District right next door to the T-Mobile Center where Kansas and Texas will battle it out for the Big 12 championship later on tonight. We go to the phone lines for the first time today talking some KU hoops with Braden Turner of the 8 No Seats podcast. Braden, thanks for coming on the show this morning. I uh, appreciate you having me on, as always. 
Now, Braden, I think last night was a perfect example when looking at KU and Iowa State that this tournament, this event, should never leave Kansas City. Is that the right thing to say after show, seeing the turnout between both those fan bases? Yeah, I totally agree. And I know it came here in 08, and then they went back down to Dallas in 09, and then it's been here ever since 2010, and it's always great atmosphere. Um, P&L is always fun. Always a ton of Iowa State fans, as we saw this weekend. I think it's impressive how many fans they bring. Um, K-State fans are around here, and then KU. So I think it's perfect. Um, I hope it never moves. I know it's here till 2027, I believe. But I hope it's here a lot longer than that because I think it's um, a perfect setup, and it's obviously convenient for a lot of us around Kansas City. And it's great for the city, and it's just so much fun um, every year. You know, I've seen this argument thrown out a couple of times with people that do want the tournament moved elsewhere because you look at it and you go, okay, the top-seeded Jayhawks have to drive 40, 45 minutes to go play in Kansas City. They're always going to have the biggest crowd. It's basically home court to them where you have teams like Oklahoma or Texas or TCU or Oklahoma State. They have to travel, and they're never going to have that type of turnout. But I think you can kind of put that argument to rest because even when this tournament was in Oklahoma City, even when it was in Dallas, Kansas did have one of the larger fan bases down there. So can you kind of put that argument to rest? Because no matter where this tournament is played in the Midwest, the large majority or the largest majority of the fan bases would be Kansas and Iowa State. Yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, I think KU fans would travel regardless. Um, I think we have big fan bases pretty much everywhere. Even down, even if it was in Texas. Um, so yeah, I know people talked about OKC again, which it was good there. But then I guess the same argument would be made with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State fans. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think KU fans are going to show up regardless. Obviously, Kansas City. It's obviously closest for KU, but I think it makes it easier for Iowa State fans, K State fans, KU fans. So. I just think it's in a perfect spot, and like you said, I think KU fans would be, they would travel to wherever the tournament would be. We're talking with Braden Turner of the 8 No Seats podcast, looking into this Kansas team that won last night against Iowa State, and will be playing later on tonight against Texas for a chance to claim its second straight Big 12 championship. Going back to last night in Kansas's 13-point win over Iowa State, what was maybe the major takeaway you got from that? Kevin McCall was a little bit banged up. You got some great bench contribution from a guy like Ernest Uday. MJ Rice got some big-time minutes. But in the end, it really was Jalen Wilson with his 25 points willing this team to victory over a very dangerous cyclone team that Joe Lunardi right now has as a five-seed in the West region, which would be Houston as the number one seed there. So the biggest takeaway you have, was it more so the bench contributions? Was it Grady Dick continuing to have that consistency? Even though he wasn't great shooting the ball from deep, he still got the point totals. And then Jalen Wilson started the game as hot as we've ever seen this season, and he finishes with 25 points. Was it Jalen Wilson, bench contributions, Kevin McCullough's injury? Uh, Where did you really go with this game last night when trying to get the big takeaway? Yeah, I would lean Jay Will and then – Sorry, Jalen, and then um, just defensively, I thought they were elite defensively. I know Gabe Kalsher went off against Baylor on Thursday, and Iowa State looked really good. Um, Dewan was super good on um, Kalsher last night, and they held Iowa State 58 points. So I thought defensively they were great. Obviously on Thursday, too, they held West Virginia to 61, who had been playing really well. So I just think They've been so good defensively as of late, especially in KC these last two nights. Um, and then obviously Jalen 
proving that he's the Big 12 Player of the Year. He's been so good um, the last two days, 22 against West Virginia, 25 against Iowa State last night. So, yeah, he came out hot. I know he had a heat check there early. He had a couple threes. Um, but, yeah, I think Ernest was obviously great, played with a ton of energy. Um, so that we bench has been the worry all year. I know they got Joe, Joe Yesfu, um, Bobby Pettiford, Ernest Dude, so they just need some contribution off the bench. And I think just those guys bringing some energy is huge for this team. We're talking with Braden Turner of the Ain't No Seats podcast. Win or lose tonight, Braden, do you think it moves the needle at all that this team would still be the number one seed in the Midwest region? Obviously, if they win, it's a no-brainer at that point. They'll be the number one overall seed. They'll have the one seed in the Midwest region. But if they lose, are they getting moved off that spot, or should they be just fine in the Midwest? I truly think they're locked in at least as the number two overall. I know Bama could um, potentially be the number one overall, but Bama wouldn't be in the Midwest, so I think KU is at least locked in as the number one in the Midwest. I think – I mean, everyone knows how good their resume is. Everyone knows how good the Big 12 is, best league in the country. Uh, KU 17-6 and six against quad one teams. They have 17 quad one wins. It's truly one of the best resumes of all time. I don't think that's even an overreaction. I don't. I think it's the record for quad one wins. I'm not sure if um, that's exactly right. But, yeah, the resume is crazy. Um, and I don't think you can be punished by losing to a team that's going to be a two-seed in March if they lost to Texas tonight, obviously one of the better teams in the country. So I truly think they'll at least be the number one in the Midwest, um, and if they win, obviously they should be the number one overall. I, I think Houston's really good. The resume just isn't close to KU's. They haven't played the competition KU's played. So I think KU, obviously best resume in the country, one of the best resumes I've ever seen, and they should – Worst case, be the number one in the Midwest next week. Does it concern you at all, Braden, that maybe the backcourt is a bit thin off the bench, not in terms of injuries, but, you know, we haven't really seen Joseph Yesfu take off in the way that maybe some expected when he transferred from Drake. And, and Bobby Pettiford has had his moments this season, but more often than not, looks a little bit sporadic with the ball, not as comfortable with the ball. Does that concern you going into March on maybe the off chance that Dewan Harris gets in foul trouble and you have to rely on a guy like Joseph Yesfu and Bobby Pettiford to run this offense as the number one point guard? Yeah, Dewan being in foul trouble at any point in March is terrifying because they need him on the floor for pretty much 40 minutes. I know he'll get a couple, he'll get some rest, like maybe a minute here or there, but he definitely cannot get in foul trouble in any of these March games, especially as a defensive stopper. They need him in there against guys that can score. So, yeah, they need something from Joe and Bobby. I know Bobby isn't really an elite scorer. I think he's a guy that can come in um, and spell Juan some minutes. So they need something from Joe. And like you said, he's Joe's done it before. Um at Drake, before he came to KU, he had a couple big tournament games. He was really good for Drake late in the year. He was getting 20, 25 a night. So Joe's shown the capability to do it at the D1 level. Um, we haven't seen it this year. I don't know if it's a thing where he's not getting enough minutes, getting in the flow of the game, but he's got to be better, especially defensively. I think him and Bobby have kind of get, been getting blown by defensively by guys off the dribble. So they need to be better defensively. Um, but, yeah, DeWan – him getting in foul trouble is scary. I haven't even really thought about that. I know people talk about KJ getting in foul trouble just because our bigs, our backup bigs haven't been that great either. I know Ernest is kind of coming along, but yeah, DeWan getting in foul trouble is scary, and they need Joe and Bobby to be better.
Now, Kevin McCuller gave it a go on Thursday afternoon when they played West Virginia. He had back spasms. He didn't start. Joseph Yesu started in place of McCuller. But he didn't really show any signs of pain in that game. I'm sure he was in pain, but it wasn't the way that we saw last night. He was wincing a lot. He didn't have to come out. He was icing his back at the end of the bench. If you are Norm Roberts or you're on that coaching staff, Braden, do you look at tonight's game against Texas? And I guess I would say, you know, you want to win this game, of course, because it locks you as the one seed. It's not detrimental if it's a loss because Texas is still projected to be a two seed. You could still very well be the number one overall seed if you lose to Texas. So do you look at this game and go, there's no reason to push Kevin McCuller tonight because our seeding's really not going to be impacted win or lose? Yeah, there's no reason at all for him to play. And I, it wasn't looking like he was going to play Thursday. And like you said, it, it didn't look as bad as last night. It looked like he was moving around. He was kind of stiff on Thursday, but he still looked fine. Um, and then last night, obviously, he didn't play pretty much the entire second half. I don't think he should have played this weekend, but I, obviously those coaches know more than me. Um, and like you said, you want to win every game. So I understand him playing, and I guarantee Kev wanted to play himself. But we just talked about earlier um, just about their seed line and where they are and how much they can really move. If they lose this game, I really don't think they w- would move down. I don't think Houston would pass them. I don't think they can do enough in the American tournament to pass them. So I don't see why Kevin would play. Um, hopefully he'll be good regardless next week. But I don't see why you would put him in a situation where he could flare flare up his back a little more. Um, they need him next week. He's super important to this team. I don't think KU fans realize how important he really is. But I would not play him. Obviously, you want to win, but I don't think the game is crazy important tonight. You want to win Big 12 tournaments, obviously, um, bring another trophy back to Lawrence. But I don't think the game is really that important end of the day, and that's why I didn't think he really should have played this weekend. Obviously, KU wanted to lock in number one overall or number one in the Midwest, so they needed to win probably one in Kansas City this weekend, maybe last night. But I I truly didn't think he should play this weekend, um, and I don't think he should play tonight. We're talking with Braden Turner of the Ain't No Seats podcast, looking at this Kansas team that's now in the championship game against the Texas Longhorns later on tonight. When you look at their previous meeting down in Austin where Kansas just, let's just be blunt about it. They played one of their worst games of the season. It was eerily similar to their game against Iowa State and Ames. They couldn't get going. They couldn't get anything going offensively. It was really Jalen Wilson and nobody else. They weren't great defending. They had a lot of turnovers. They didn't shoot it well from the free throw line. Can you just throw that game away when you look at tonight and say, you know, that was just a bad game when they were probably looking at it on paper. They're saying, you know, we've already won the conference. The only thing we can do it now is maybe lock up that number one seed. But they still had a chance to do so in the Big 12 tournament. Can we just throw away what happened down in Austin? Or can you look at that and go, hell, there was a lot we could take away from that game because of how Texas adjusted from that first meeting that happened in Lawrence? Yeah, I truly think you can throw it away. Um, like you said, they, they won it outright earlier that week against Texas Tech at home. Um, and then Texas obviously lost to TCU in Fort Worth the night after. But, um, yeah, I I mean, Marcus, Marcus Carr has really struggled um, this weekend. I know – Braden, we still got you on the line? Yeah, sorry. Um, I know the only thing in the only thing in Austin was they could have won it by three games. They could have won the league by three games, but I don't think the game truly mattered. 
um, too much. Like you said, they won it outright. Um, so there wasn't, there really wasn't too much to play for. They, it was ugly, like you said. They couldn't score. DeWan didn't play very well. So I think you can definitely throw it away. Um, like you said, just the game didn't mean too much. So I think tonight it'll be a battle. I'm not sure if Timmy Allen will go for Texas. I'm not sure if Kevin McCuller will go. So I'm not sure how much both of those will affect either team. So yeah, I think, I don't think the game in Austin mattered too much. I know the game in Allen was awesome. I'm interested to see how Marcus Carr plays. I think DeWan will obviously be guarding him. He's really struggled the last two nights shooting it from the floor. So I think it's an interesting matchup, the one and two seeds in the Big 12 and two teams that can obviously go deep in the tournament next week. Kansas and Texas tipping off later tonight on at 5 p.m. Kansas is open as a two-and-a-half point favorite, the over-under at 142-and-a-half. You can listen to that game right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Well, Braden, thanks so much for taking the time this morning to come on and talk some KU hoops, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, man. There he goes. That's Braden Turner of the 8 No Seeds podcast, one of our main sources of everything KU hoops and KU football on our show on Wednesday night from 7 to 10 that we have at Hollywood Casino. We're actually broadcasting here on Wednesday night. And if you've listened to that, you know we have Joel Penfield on sometimes to talk some college sports. But Braden and our next guy, Ryan Gilbert, have been some of our main sources of college basketball this season. So Kansas and Texas, as we just mentioned, tipping off tonight at 5 p.m. The Hawks have opened as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I think the most interesting thing about this matchup, I think both sides, they have injuries to their starting lineups. I don't think we will see Kevin McCuller play tonight. I'm starting to lean toward the idea that Timmy Allen is not going to be playing for Texas. I don't think it makes much sense for Texas to go with a guy like Timmy Allen because, like we just said with Kansas, I think win or lose, not sure Texas is really moving the needle on being a one seed. I think they're pretty much locked in as a two seed, and a loss isn't going to bump them down, of course, and not a loss to a team like Kansas, who right now is projected to be the number one overall seed. But should be a very thrilling matchup between the Longhorns and Jayhawks tonight. I do think you can throw away that matchup in Austin. I'm sure Texas fans will say, well, you can throw away that matchup that happened up in Lawrence. So you can go back and forth with that type of argument. But at the end of the day, I think you are going to see a much more comparable game to the first one that happened in Lawrence as opposed to the one that happened in Austin. When you have something on the line like this, and I know that Kansas should still feel pretty comfortable about their seeding projection in the NCAA tournament, but I think they want to erase all doubt for tomorrow that they will be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they want to have to go into tomorrow waiting there for Selection Sunday and thinking, man, after that loss to Texas, can we get in as the number one overall seed? Are we going to be able to play in the Midwest region? Now, I think it's probably a 70 to 75% chance that Kansas does play in the Midwest region, but it'll be 100% if they win tonight against this Texas team. And I did watch all of that game last night between Texas and TCU. I thought Texas did a lot of great things, and they're doing it without Timmy Allen, one of their best stretch fours, and they have two of the greatest one-two guard punches in college basketball, and Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr. But as Braden pointed out, Marcus Carr struggled this weekend. Tyrese Hunter has kind of been the guy that has picked up his slack. And I don't think we've seen Texas be extraordinary offensively. They weren't great against Oklahoma State. They weren't that great against TCU. But they've been great on the defensive end. On the flip side, I think Kansas 
has been better defensively than offensively in this tournament. And that's likely because Kevin McCuller has not been 100%. You've had to rely on some big minutes, especially last night, from guys like MJ Rice, from guys like Ernest Uday, Bobby Pettiford, and Joseph Yesifu. But it's important for this team to have those moments. They need games like that. And you always want to hope for the best with Kevin McCuller and hope that he is 100% by next Thursday or Friday. But look at last night as a perfect example that MJ Rice, a guy that has rode the bench the majority of the season, he's still very talented, four or five-star guy, but he hasn't gotten into a rhythm. And he wasn't great last night, but it's important to have those minutes because who knows how healthy you are going into the NCAA tournament. You can be healthy going into the game. Then something can happen. And you want to knock on wood for that. You never want to jinx an injury. But guys get banged up. And guys have to play big minutes. And last night, that was an NCAA tournament type of environment. That was a Sweet 16, Elite 8 type of environment. And those guys have to be comfortable playing in those moments. You have to get Bobby Pettiford comfortable. Now, Dewan Harris is a very intelligent basketball player. He's not going to put himself in foul trouble. He's a great defender, and great defenders understand that to be a great defender, you also can't be somebody that fouls a lot. You can't have both here. You can't be a great defender and always be in foul trouble unless you're a big man and they go at you. When you're a point guard, when you're a guard, you have to be smart with your feet. you got to make sure you don't reach. You're not gambling too much. And Dewan Harris does it in the perfect amount because he understands he has to be on the floor for this team to go far in March. But when he's not on the floor for stretches of four or five or six minutes, Bobby Pettiford has to be a guy that can control the offense. Joseph Yesu has to be able to control the offense. I understand you can give the ball to Jalen Wilson and go. You can play one-on-one basketball. It's not going to beat a lot of good teams in the NCAA tournament. And we've seen that this year. In their loss to Texas, in their loss to TCU, in their loss to Baylor, in their loss to Kansas State, all of those losses, it was Jalen Wilson taking on the majority of the workload and putting the ball in the hoop. And everybody else stood around and watched. And then we've seen Kansas at their best. Their game against Missouri in Columbia. Their game against Indiana at home. Their game against Texas earlier this year in Lawrence. Their game against Kansas State in Lawrence. Their game against West Virginia in Morgantown. Balanced. Very, very balanced. Everybody's scoring. Everybody's getting in on the action. And you know what's great about that, which you can see on the floor, there's a sense of comfort within the team. Nobody feels like they can't take a shot out there. And you want every one of those players to feel comfortable shooting. Because you can see with this team, when shots aren't falling, guys may not want the ball. You know, I thought it was a perfect example, and I wish I would have grabbed the tweet so I could give credit to whoever did this. But it was simply comparing a guy like Grady Dick to Ben McLemore. And if you can go back to the 2012-2013 Kansas team, I believe that was the right year with Ben McLemore. I know he redshirted his first year. But Ben McLemore... In the 2012-2013 year, when he was on, he was about as explosive a shooter as we've seen in college basketball. Here at Kansas, a very pure-looking jump shot, just a flick of the wrist. It was like Ray Allen almost. But then in times when Ben McElmore wasn't able to get the good looks, he disappeared a little bit. And that's what Grady Dick kind of went through at the tail end of the regular season and during Kansas's cold stretch when they lost three in a row. Disappears a little bit. But when he is scoring, 
changes the offense. When K.J. Adams is playing the way that he did in the non-conference against Indiana, against Missouri, it's a totally different team. When he can catch the ball 10, 15 feet from the goal and take his man to the basket, that's the difference from this team being a first-round exit and a team that can get back to the Final Four and maybe even a national championship game. We all know how good Kansas is. I don't need to sit here on air and give you surprise stats or all the numbers or Ken Palm or quad, quad one wins to convince you that Kansas is a good team. What I'm trying to do is show you how they can be an unbeatable team. And when Kansas is rolling, like the way they were last year at this point in time, they turned from a very good team into an unbeatable team. It didn't matter who you threw at them. They were going to find a way to win. You know, you could get them down by 5, down by 10, down by 15. When looking at the national championship game against North Carolina, it didn't matter. They don't get rattled. They don't get frustrated. They don't start pointing fingers. And it comes with a group that's very experienced. You know, we want to say with freshmen out there, you had to replace David McCormick, Christian Brown, Ochai Abaji. You had to replace all those guys. But the good thing is the guys that came back, they were also leaders. Jalen Wilson's a great leader. Dewan Harris is a great leader. And then you bring in a guy like Kevin McCuller, who was a leader at Texas Tech. You add in the freshman talent, Grady Dick, Ernest Uday, Zuby Ejafor, MJ Rice. Now, not everybody has excelled in the way that Grady Dick has, of course, being a starter from day one. You know, Ernest Uday, Ejafor, and MJ Rice have had to work for those minutes off the bench. But it's important that when your number is called, you got to go out there and make sure that you are helping this team. I think at times this season, when Kansas has struggled, it's been because some of the bench players, or even some guys in the starting five, they were out there trying not to make mistakes. It wasn't natural. There wasn't a flow. And that's the difference in this team. When they're confident, and I guess that is kind of a dumb thing to say, when any team's confident, you can go far in the tournament. You get hot at the right time, you believe in yourself, you believe in your game, you believe in your coaching staff, you're going to go pretty far. Some team could always believe in themselves more than you do. But Kansas right now is starting to show to me that even when faced with this type of adversity, and I know that Norm Roberts has been around these guys a lot. He's been around for these kids' entire career so far. Everybody on this team, they have known Norm Roberts from their freshman year to however long they've been here, whether they're sophomores, juniors, or seniors, or fifth-year seniors. They've known Norm Roberts. They know how he coaches. And it's why they can step into that role and still feel comfortable. Now, it's still a big jump. It's still a massive difference because Bill Self is a Hall of Fame head coach. And Norm Roberts has done a phenomenal job in stepping in for Bill Self. And it's not always like the the Hollywood, the Cinderella story where Dennis Hopper fills in for Gene Hackman and Hoosiers. It's not always like that. But what helps that scenario is you have guys that don't get rattled by it. They're faced with that adversity and go, okay, we could sit here. We could feel sorry for ourselves. We could be scared. We could be nervous. We could look at this tournament and go, well, it's not that important now. Let's just wait till the NCAA tournament. These guys have been more motivated. I've been more impressed with this Kansas team in the last two days than I have in the last month. And they've had some pretty damn big wins in the last month. 
But you look at what they've done against West Virginia and Iowa State, two teams that are easily in the NCAA tournament, and they're not 12 seeds. You have an 8 or 9 seed in West Virginia. You have a 5 seed in Iowa State. And they've comfortably won both games. They've had guys step up. Jalen Wilson's been great. Jalen Wilson had one of his best games, I think, last night. In a hostile environment, and I would say that hostile both ways. Kansas had their support. Iowa State had their support. But some guys can crumble in those moments. Not this team, because this team's also played on the biggest stage, or a couple of the guys have. You know, even a guy like K.J. Adams. He didn't have a lot of minutes last year, but he still found ways to get on the floor because he was so great defensively. And from a statistical standpoint, more so than just going on and on and preaching about the leadership of this group, how they value the basketball, statistically, they've been a very good defense. And it's because they're athletic, they're quick, they're physical, and you have three of the top defenders in college basketball. Kevin McCuller went healthy, Dewan Harris, and K.J. Adams. Last night, and I thought it was brilliant to do this because Iowa State has those stretch fours. They have big men, but they have guards that can pull it at any time. Gabe Callister was a guy that if he catches it 30 feet from the goal, he still will find, he'll find a little bit of breathing room, and he'll fire that thing off. But they were able to switch because K.J. Adams is about the same size as Jalen Wilson. You basically have five guards out there. And that can be a difficult matchup, and I think it's even more difficult because K.J. Adams isn't built like a guard. He's built like a tight end. So he can still bang down low with a six foot ten, six eleven center. But he also can switch out top and hang with a guard. That's what makes this team scary. And I hate to open up some wounds here or show the scars, but I think everybody is very familiar with that game against Villanova in the 2018 Final Four when Villanova couldn't miss from deep. You want to know what Villanova took advantage of? It was that they couldn't switch. Yudoka Azabuki couldn't guard the stretch four. Now Kansas has a big man that can guard point guards. He can hang with those guys. He's athletic. He's quick with his feet. He's not clumsy. And it's been even more impressive that then you have a guy like Ernest Uday, who last night we saw K.J. Adams and Ernest Uday on the floor at the same time. For the first time in a long time, there were two bigs on the floor for Kansas, if you could even call K.J. Adams a big. But Ernest Uday has now looked more comfortable, and he can defend as well. I'm not going to go as far to call him Bam Adebayo from Kentucky, but it reminds me a little bit of Bam Adebayo, a big man who can move really well, really long arms, Last night, he stole a pass, got in a pass, and like he was a guard. And it was right after he had caught a lob pass from Dewan Harris. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting his feet under him. He's not looking as nervous. And that always happens with an 18-year-old freshman. But right now, Kansas is getting hot at the exact right time, and it happens every single year. It's why they've won a lot of these tournaments. And tonight, it's why they have the edge against a Texas team that just humiliated them last weekend. Kansas and Texas tonight, tipping off at 5 p.m. You can listen to that right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Let's take our final break of the first hour. When we come back, it's time to talk some Wildcat basketball with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. That's next on our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
We are broadcasting live down at the Power and Light District, right next door to the T-Mobile Center, where Kansas and Texas will battle it out for a Big 12 championship later on tonight at 5 p.m. You are listening to Sports Radio 810 WHB, and this is our special March Madness show. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Kyle Collier back in the studio, and we'll go to the phone lines now for the second time today, and we'll talk some K-State basketball with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show this morning. Yeah, Jack, thank you for having me. Now let's go back to that game against TCU, and I think, Ryan, I know a couple of your thoughts, of course, with following you on Twitter, but I feel like you can just chalk up that game, throw it away, and say, TCU was the worst three-point shooting team in the conference, and they suddenly got red hot with guys like Chuck O'Bannon, and then you also had Mike Miles, who went crazy. They both combined for eight three-pointers, I believe. This was a team that didn't shoot it well all season long. I think they were below 30% as a team shooting it from deep. So when you look at Kansas State's loss there, 80-67, to do you just say, that's an oddity, that's not usually going to happen, let's just move on and look ahead to Selection Sunday? I think there's somewhat of a middle ground there. You know, TCU obviously was having a great night and couldn't miss, it seemed like. But there's a reason that they were making those shots because they were open and Kansas State's defense certainly struggled against TCU. But, but yeah, you'd like to watch this one and just erase it from your memory. But this is now back-to-back losses for Kansas State. So a four-game, lose, a four-game winning streak that K-State had to, to pretty much end out the season got snapped on the road at West Virginia. And then they lose, of course, on Thursday to TCU. So... I think this one certainly hurts them just from a confidence standpoint, but also any hopes of, of playing in Des Moines or Denver for a, you know, a first and second round games in the tournament, those seem to be gone as well. So, uh, you know, it's a game that you can kind of flush down the toilet, so to speak, but the confidence in this team is probably not the best right now. Is there any concern in this defense now? I thought K-State was phenomenal all season long in defending, especially from their guards. I thought it got a lot better with their post play. But in their last two games, they allowed 89 to West Virginia and then 80 to TCU. So are there concerns going into the NCAA tournament that this defense is taking a few steps back? It depends what type of game Kansas State really wants to play and and the type of game that its opponent allows it to play because we know that TCU is a team that loves to get up and down the court. And so you can't let them, you know, get cooking and let them score 80 points, but I think that's an acceptable number just because of how fast TCU does play. The game against West Virginia, you know, you mentioned it, 89 points. Wildcats were without Desi Sills as he was dealing with a family matter. I'm not blaming the loss at all on his absence, but his presence, his energy, his defense, all that stuff made a difference. And so I don't know if I'm going to look too far into what Kansas State really has done defensively. It's obviously not good, 20 turnovers. Uh, does not help matters against TCU. It was one of those nights, like I mentioned, for the Horn Frogs, no doubt about it. But but K State's got to be better, and you know it starts by making the simple plays. Tang mentioned that following the TCU loss, that you know his guys have to stop trying so hard and stop pressing and let the game come to them. The simple plays are a lot better than the big plays more often than not. Right? Obviously, it's it's nice to end up on Sports Center. It's nice to make the highlight plays here and there, but. Kansas State's got to focus on just you know going one to know every game possession, uh, every you know every warm up, every walkthrough, every film session. This team's just got to do the little things right if they want to make a run. But but yeah, the defense is definitely something that's got to be corrected. But Kansas State, you know, we saw it earlier in the conference in conference play when K State was 
you know, putting up 100 points on on the road against Texas and Baylor. We've seen them win games in the lower, you know, 60s. And so the defense could be better, but I think the staff is going to maybe take a look in the mirror and uh, certainly depending on the opponent that comes up against them in the tournament, make some adjustments of, of how they want to play the game just as far as the pace goes. But it's different because Kansas State for the last three months has been playing, and this is, you know, true for any Big 12 team, been playing the same teams over and over again. So it's tough to, to have any sort of advantage on the scout. Now that K-State's going to be playing a you know 12 seed or a 13 seed, whatever that may be, a team that they're not familiar with, a team that's not familiar with K-State, maybe K-State can gain an edge and in, in certainly in the you know defensive game. We're talking with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCut.com going over K-State's loss to TCU on Thursday night. 19 turnovers for the Cats. And, Ryan, I thought you had a great article on K-State's turnover problems, but more importantly with Marquise Noel, who it seems like in all these losses this year, it's really come down to how many turnovers Marquise Noel has, not so much the team as a whole. So when you look at a guy like Marquise Noel, and I know Jerome Tang said the turnover problems is from guys trying to do too much. Is that how you would maybe sum up Marquise Noel with his turnover problem when he has five or six or seven? Is he's just trying to take on too much and force things that aren't there? Yeah. He wants to be the superstar. You know, he has that, that edge of uh, just winning. He wants to win. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be the leader, you know, and that's obviously that's not a bad quality for a player to have. But, you know, you, you've got to cut back at, at certain times. And, and like we said earlier, like you just mentioned, make the simple plays. But obviously with him being the leader and also being the point guard, this team really does, uh, it's as good as Marquise Noel can, can let it be, right? If he's going out and scoring 25 points or whatever, you know, that's great and all. But if he's turning it over seven or eight times in the game, you know, that comes with a cost. And, and you know, Jerome Tang always mentions how he wants Marquise. They have, like, some little agreement. He always jokes that they have one of those one-a-day vitamins, right, where you get one of those bad shots a game. If you make it, you get another one. But if not, you know, no more. <laughs> and so, is you know, it's, it's not just the turnovers, man. It's, you know, it's the, the 30 the thirty footers that he chucks up. And if they go in, great. But, you know, he's a heck of a player, heck of a talent. You know, first team, all Big 12-er. Absolutely deserving of that, but definitely has to cut back on the turnovers and, and be a, a true point guard for this team. And him and Keontae Johnson are, are special players, but you know we've talked a lot, uh, talked about this a lot at Go Power Cat. How just good teams need a third consistent score, and Desi Sills can be that dude. Naquan Tomlin can be that dude. So as much as we you know talk about the importance of Marquise Noel, which is absolutely you know something to to talk about. K-State's got to have some other guys step up in March Madness if it really wants to make a, a deep run. Now, I watched Desi Sills play a little bit when he was at Arkansas, and I don't know, Ryan, that I ever saw him block shots in the way that he was last night. I mean, when did Desi Sills turn into LeBron James of glassing guys in the way that he does it was against TCU? On Thursday. That's when he, that's, that's what had happened, man. <laughs> I don't think we've seen it really much this year. He's, you know, obviously his energy is huge, and, and he makes those, you know, he makes those hustle plays. He dies for the loose balls. You know, he, I don't think he blocked a ton of shots this year, but that's something that's in his arsenal. Uh, but, but Desi Sills really is just a winner. You know, Tang always talks about that, how everywhere he's been, he's won. You know, in, in high school, he's won a couple of state championships. And it's funny, Tang mentioned this was a couple of weeks ago in, against Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, Desi Sills was getting ready to check in. And, and he was going to replace Cam Carter. 
Cam Carter hits a three-pointer and Desi Sills immediately just gets up and runs back to the bench because that just he, – he knew that Carter had the hot hand and he's a team player. So that kind of just tells you how how he's important to this team and he doesn't care. He always mentions that if he scores zero points as long as he does things to let, to let K-State you know win a game. And so I think Sills certainly can be the X factor and his energy is – it just goes without saying. You look at that West Virginia game. And then maybe that's why he was able to block so many shots, Jack. He had fresh legs after missing a game and had some rest, but but who knows. But he's got to be blocking shots. He's got to be hitting shots. He's got to be, you know, doing everything for Kansas State in in March Madness. There's really there's no other way to put it. K-State needs him to step up. We're talking with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. Now looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, I heard you brought up a little bit of where they may be playing. I know for a little bit it was Des Moines if they were to be a two or a three seed. But what's your pulse now? Are they going to be a three seed? Are they going to be a four? Are they going to dip as low as a five? Sounds like these last couple of losses have really hurt any of those chances to play close to home. And I guess the only one maybe good thing is you get away from some of that noise playing near from you know near home. But I don't think K-State's going to get a lot of purple wherever it ends up. I think it's probably Orlando or Albany is what it sounds like. And obviously that depends on what, you know, bracketology you do look at. But, yeah, these last two losses I think really did hurt Kansas State. And I don't think that the rest of the the two and three seed, four seed line helped K-State at all, right? Like those teams were winning. And K-State's obviously struggled these last two games, absolutely. But they've kind of got pushed back just because other teams around them have done well. So, I think they're getting shipped off afar, and obviously anything can happen. It's you know it is March, and that holds true for the selection committee. But, but yeah, I, I'm not getting my hopes up if I'm a K-State fan for this team to to be within driving distance for the first few rounds. You know, I wonder if you will. I'm curious if you actually will do another article similar to this because before the Big 12 tournament, you had the most in players, most important players for this team, what they could get away with, what they couldn't get away with. I want to touch on a guy like Cam Carter, who has been in this starting five. All season long, he hasn't been the headliner, but of course it's tough to do when you have two all-Big 12 guys in Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. But it, can he be a little bit of an X-factor going into the NCAA tournament because he's been quiet for so long? He's shown that he can, but it's not at all something that, that you want to rely upon. You know, he's out there for his defense. And, you know, we talked about it just a, just a couple moments ago, Jack. Like, K-State's defense is been struggling, right? 89 points and then 80 points against TCU. Um, they need good defenders out there. And guys like Ish Masood, you know, sharpshooters that can be three-point specialists, you know, Tyke Green, like the defense just isn't there for some of these guys. And that's why we see so much of Cam Carter. I know some some people are, are frustrated with his lack of output on the offensive end, and, and that's absolutely understandable. But you got to remember, He's there for the defense. You know, he's the glue guy. He's the anchor of the team. He's pretty consistent. You know, I think he struggled in, you know, TCU with some turnovers and stuff. But by and large, he's 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 just there for his defense. And to answer your question, no, I don't think that, that he really can be the X factor. It, you know, if he gives you, you know, 10, 12 points, I think you're happy with that. Absolutely. But, you know, Tyke Green and, or excuse me, De- Desi Sills and, and Naquan Salmon are the two guys that I really do think of the x-factors and i'd have to go back i think the the road game at iowa state cam carter came out and scored like 10 points before the first media timeout so he's capable sure you know i'm not going to say he can't do that especially against a a 13 seed or something like that but 
he's you know he doesn't get in foul trouble. He doesn't commit a lot of turnovers, and he he makes the little plays. He's a very good defender, and so I think that he's kind of accepted what his role is for this team right now. Jerome Tang said that Naquan Tomlin really was going to be the guy that you can see have a surge in play in the postseason, speaking of the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. Where do you st- stand now on that statement by Jerome Tang? Ryan, Is are you satisfied with how Naquan Tomlin has played? I know it was only one game, but I believe he said it even before the West Virginia game. Are you satisfied with the way Tomlin's played? Are you waiting for more? Where are you kind of right now on the fence and looking at a guy like Naquan Tomlin and his production for this team offensively? If he's on the court, he really can be the X factor, like Tang said. Absolutely, he can be that guy. But he's got to stay on the court. You know, he picked up two fouls, I think, uh, seven or eight minutes into that game against TC when he rode the bench. I think he played five minutes for that entire first half against the Horn Frogs. Like this, it's 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 an ongoing issue. It's not something that happens here or there for Tom when he's consistently been getting in foul trouble and making. You know, I don't want to call him stupid fouls, but you know, if you're going to foul him, you know. Get all of them, you know, make it count. You can't let them get an and one, you know, you got to really get after them. And they've been ticky tacky touch fouls that, you know, Tomlin just has to learn not to commit. He's only been playing organized basketball for, for just a few years now. And so he's very new to the game and he's still learning a lot about the game of basketball. So if he's on the court, yes, we've saw it in the non-conference where it 100% looks like Tomlin was that third consistent guy and going up against the big 12 defenses have been, have been tough on him. Haven't made anything easier, um, without a doubt. But he's shown that, that he has a pretty high ceiling for Kansas State, but he's really an important player when he's on the court. But when he's not on the court, you know, he, he doesn't give you anything. And so he's got to stay out of foul trouble. And it's a lot easier said than done. Like, I would not count on Naquan Tomlin playing more than 25 minutes any game from here on out just because the foul issues have been such a concern. They've been ongoing and and it's been hard to correct for this staff. So he can be the X factor, but he's got to be on the court. We're talking with Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. And Joe Lunardi's most recent bracket projection, he has Kansas State as a four-seed playing in Albany against 13-seeded Toledo. If they were to move on, they would get the winner of Texas A&M, who plays later on in the SEC semifinals in Nashville. They have A&M going up against Oral Roberts. How would those first two matchups grab you? I know you likely haven't done a lot of digging into Toledo or a team like Oral Roberts, but let's say Kansas State's a four, let's say they're in Albany, and they get a team like Texas A&M in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Never want to look too far ahead, but would you feel comfortable with first two games like that? The one seed, by the way, would be Purdue in the East region where Lunardi has Kansas State right now. Would you feel comfortable with a draw like that, or would you hate it because, one, you're playing in Albany, and two, you're getting a team that finished second in the SEC. Yeah, I would take the the placing with a grain of salt in the SEC. And I, we're going to find out here at March Madness how, how good the Big 12 really is, right? And we say this all the time. I don't want, you know, one single game for a team to define, like, how good or bad they were and how good or bad their conference were just of how they perform on on the national stage. But, I mean, the Big 12 tough, and, you know, a and I, you know, I don't want to knock them at all, but playing in the SEC, it's just, it's just different. There, there are off games that you can have in the SEC. You can't have those in the Big 12. And so I think K-State has a chance to, to get out of that first weekend with that draw against Toledo and A&M if it were to happen. Um, but man, playing up against Purdue, like that is probably the one team that you do not want to go up against if you're Kansas State just because of their size physicality all that stuff inside in the paint that's one it's kansas state's one spot where they don't have uh 
they just they don't have uh, the presence down in the paint near the basket. And I don't know if that was intentional from Tang or not by not adding somebody like that in the portal that could play here in his first year at K-State. But if they go up against a team like Purdue, it's it's going to be tough for Kansas State. But, you know, you can always have a hot, you know, hot night in March Madness and pull off the upsets. You know, Kansas State, this is that'd be a very similar game to what they had against Kentucky and the Elite Eight run they had in 2018 where I think that the tallest player for Kansas State, like my boss always says, was I think probably shorter than the – I can't remember how the saying goes, but everyone on Kentucky's team was just taller than Kansas mm-hmm. State, right? So you can get away with, with that with the hot shooting nights, but you know Kansas State, it's going to be two things. One, the matchup that the opponent faces, the, the issues that the opponent can face, right? And then two, it's really just not knowing the opponent, right? That can be a good thing. The familiarity can be a great, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? How good is your scout? How good do you know the opponent after just a couple of days of research, right? So K-State's got a chance to make a deep run, and I hate to say this because it's such a cliche, but K-State can also get bounced in the first round. It really just depends what team we get, and, you know, that's true for any team in, in the NCAA tournament, 100%. But with this Kansas State team, it really is just, it's been feast or famine a lot this season. Last question for you here, Ryan. There can be arguments made on both sides when looking at Jerome Tang and Dennis Gates, both guys in their first year at the program. Both guys had to really overhaul their roster. But I want to give you the floor and really just speak to the listeners here on why Jerome Tang has done a better job in year one than Dennis Gates has done in year one at Missouri. Well, Jerome Tang just inherited a a bad team in Manhattan, right? There's no other way to put it, and for him to let go of the whole roster and keep just two scholarship players, you know, kind of gut everything out for him to do what he's done in year one is it's just been amazing. And, and obviously what Dennis Gates has done in Columbia is, is pretty dang impressive as well. Right. But Mizzou is, what were they in the SEC tournament? A six seed. Am I wrong on that? I think they were around that type of mark. Okay. Yeah. Six seed, so, seven seed, something like that. That would be a big argument point for me, you know, for Kansas State to finish third in the nation's toughest conference. And for, like I mentioned earlier with the SEC, to, you know, to be a six seed in there. You know, Dennis Gates did a great job in the portal as well. But for Jerome Tang to do what he did in year one has just been outstanding. And that would be the argument for Tang to, to have any sort of nod over Gates. And, you know, when Tang took over, he said that he came to Manhattan to, to, to elevate, not just to rebuild. He's proven that in year one. Obviously, there's been some some valleys in there, but Tang's, he's proven that the future of K-State basketball is, is very bright. His staff is amazing from top to bottom. And, you know, four, uh, three four-star signees coming up in the in the next recruiting class. You know, what he's done this year has been phenomenal, but the future of K-State basketball was what everyone in Manhattan has been getting behind. Yeah, Missouri was a 12 seed in last year's SEC tournament and then a 4 seed, of course, with the double bye this year. But Kansas okay. State, yeah, they were playing on Wednesday night last year. And both both programs, both coaches had to really overhaul the roster. But I think to your point, Ryan, yeah, it was that Jerome Tang had to go through the best conference in college basketball in the Big 12. And though the SEC certainly has its top teams, uh, I don't think it really compares to the Big 12. And we saw that a little bit in the Big 12 and SEC Challenge. Ryan, thanks so much for your time as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Yep, be good, Jack. Have fun tonight, okay? 
Will do, will do. That's Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com. He gives us all of our K-State news, and we have him on a lot on our Wednesday night show, The Night Shift, on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm going to ask that same question to Drew coming up here in about 10 minutes or so because Missouri last year was a 12 seed, and this year they're the 4 seed, and there's going to be arguments made on both sides. right? I wanted to give Ryan the chance to sort of speak his piece on as to why Jerome Tang's done a better job, because it's the Big 12, because they were top five at one point, they had more quad one wins, because both coaches had to overhaul that roster. They had to really dig deep, find guys elsewhere. I mean, Naquan Tomlin, as he brought up, he wasn't a guy that was barely even into playing his first couple years of basketball. And here he is starting in the Big 12 for a Power 5 school. Dennis Gates, on the other hand, he takes over a Missouri, seat, or Missouri team that was a 12 seed in the SEC tournament last year, and this year they get a double bye. And I'm sure Drew will have a lot to say about that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But before we get to our interview with Drew, we are going to have a little segment dedicated to an interview that Nate Bucati had of the Border Patrol. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have that interview that was done by Nate Bucati. That's next on our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back in to our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am your host, Jack Johnson, broadcasting live from the Power and Light District right next door to the T-Mobile Center where the Kansas Jayhawks and the Texas Longhorns will battle it out for a chance to win the Big 12 championship tonight, tipping off at 5 p.m., and you can listen to that on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Before we interview... Drew King for some Missouri hoops talk, and Drew will be able to ask or answer some of the same questions that I asked to Ryan about, you know, Dennis Gates, what their expectations were at the beginning of the year, as to now how far they'll go in the NCAA tournament, and look ahead to this matchup against Alabama, which will be tipping off right at the conclusion of our show at 12 p.m. But before we do that, Nate Bucati did an interview for for Central Bank Sporting or Central Bank Sporting interview because SKC has their home opener tonight against the LA Galaxy. Nate Bucati had a chance to sit down with Will Carter from Central Bank about some new things happening between them and Sporting Kansas City. So without further ado, here is Nate's interview. Thanks first of all for joining us. How excited are you for the home opener for Sporting Kansas City? Oh, hey, Nate, we are super excited for the home opener. I think this is our uh, favorite time of year because that means soccer is back in Kansas City, and we are so ready for the uh, the match Saturday night. Yeah, as you mentioned, we've got a lot going on this year. We're going to be out on the plaza uh, before the match Saturday with a whole new area that we're calling Sporting Central. Um, this is going to include all kinds of games like human foosball, our sub-soccer arena, so- soccer darts, uh, we've got a new photo booth this year, prize wheels, and we've even built a life-size Plinko board, which, I, Nate, you're going to have so much fun. If you watch The Price is Right when you were young, uh, you're, you've got to come play the Plinko board. It's just so much fun. Um, and then we've got a hilarious halftime show planned as well. So just a lot of fun activities for the fans. I think, I think Saturday night is just going to be a blast. Okay, so, yeah, the Plinko board has me excited right there because I'm a, a yes, absolutely Price is Right kind of guy. But – I'm intrigued by the human foosball. What what is your human foosball game like? Are you are you very skilled in this area, Will? 
Um, I don't know how skilled I am, but uh, I know the fans are very skilled at it. And last year we had human foosball out there, and I know people played it well into the first uh, half of the match, and we almost had to kick people out. Um, so everyone has a, a blast with it, but it's a full-size arena that with, the, with the goals on each end and the bars going across, and you get in there and you play it just like a, a game of foosball except for you're the pawn. So yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, man. Sounds incredible. It sounds like I don't have to run as much and I can still play soccer. So I think that's right up my alley. Uh, once again, we are visiting with Will Carter, Senior Vice President and Director of Marketing with Central Bank. Now, you mentioned that you named this activation area Sporting Central. What does that mean? Well, you know, I think a lot of it is just because of the experience of sporting. Um, when, when you're out at sporting matches or, or, or if you're in the community doing anything with sporting, it's always an experience. You know that, Nate. It's, it's just something different that you don't experience anywhere else with any other sport. And so um, we want to be a part of that experience. So that's kind of how Sporting Central was born. Uh, we wanted to create this area that develops all these new activities for fans and becomes part of the Sporting KC experience so that when you come to the match, from the time you walk into the gates to the time you leave, you're going to remember that experience for a long, long time. And so that's what Sporting Central is. It's just tying Central Bank and Sporting KC together and all the things that we do to make it great for the fans. Well, my kids get there early every single game, and that's the first place they want to go. So you're certainly hitting a home run with my kids, I'll tell you that much. And I know that this is also a big year for Central Bank as its partnership with Sporting grows to what I like to say is a whole nother level. I like to say a whole nother uh, level of community engagement. Can you talk about some of the exciting things that you guys are doing as a partnership this year? Oh, absolutely, Nate. I, as you know, I think the thing that we're the most excited about, obviously, is the grand opening of the new Central Bank Sporting Complex up in the Northland there off of 152. Um, that's going to be happening in April, the official opening, and, man, are we excited about that. These facilities are world-class. They're going to be able to host so many events for children and their families for so many years to come. And as you know, there's 13 fully synthetic turf, multi-purpose fields. The opportunities are just endless up there with that facility, um, and, and, you know, this for us, it was it was not just an investment into sporting. This was a huge investment into the Northland community for us. Um, we have a strong presence in the Northland, and being a part of sporting and being a part of the complex, that, that, that one was really critical for us, and, and we're rich, really excited to be able to bring that to North Kansas City. Yeah, that part of the uh, the metropolitan area really needed a facility like this, and I think it's going to be absolutely huge. But I understand that's not the only part of the metro that you guys are growing. What about Lawrence, Kansas? I understand that's a big priority as well right now. You know, it is. As, you, as you're aware, uh, not to get off topic, but we're also now partnering with the University of Kansas, and so that's really cr uh, increased our presence in the Lawrence community. And so with that became the, the opportunity to be the, the partner for Sporting 2, uh, which happens to play their matches out at Rock Chalk Park in Lawrence. You know, so again, that was a natural fit for us, having such a large presence in Lawrence through that partnership with the university. But I think it goes back to the community approach we took with the Sporting Partnership to begin with. When you look at Central Bank and its role, and, and now its role in the soccer community, we're impacting lives now from the youth leagues to the next pro to the MLS. And we understand that the community is what makes all that special, and that's what is the force behind everything that we're doing with Sporting KC. So I think we're just thrilled to be a part of what's happening right here in the soccer capital of the U.S., and finally, Central Bank has the perfect way to show off your sporting pride with sporting checking. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, Nate, absolutely. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have it now, but um, if you don't, sporting checking and the official sporting debit card from Central Bank, you can show off your love for sporting, whether you're at the match or you're on your go. I love pulling out my debit card whenever I'm checking out at the gas station or the store and putting it in, and you see that sporting shield on that card. I just love seeing that, and you always see people kind of looking over your shoulder. But all you got to do to get the the sporting debit card is visit sportingchecking.com. And don't forget the sporting debit card holder actually get 10% discount at any of the sporting style stores inside the Children's Mercy Park. So it's a win-win for you there. You get to show off your pride, and then you get some discounts as well. So It sounds like it's a, it's a whole collaborative deal. It's really exciting. Will, thank you so much for the time. Have a great time at the home opener as sporting take on the L.A. Galaxy this weekend. Thanks, Nate. We look forward to it, and I hope everybody has a blast at the game on Saturday night. We'll see you guys soon. Okay, that is Will Carter, Senior Vice President and Director of Marketing with Central Bank. Central Bank is a presenting partner of the Sporting KC Home Opener and is back with all new activities. you got to check them out at Sporting Central for the game as well. And, of course, that's a match that you can hear live right here on your home for Sporting Kansas City Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. That was our very own Nate Bucati from the Border Patrol chatting with Will Carter from Central Bank ahead of Sporting KC's home opener against the L.A. Galaxy. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump right into some college basketball, and we'll be joined by Drew King of PowerMizzou.com as we'll look ahead to the Tigers and their matchup against the Alabama Crimson Tide at noon. So that's coming up here in about 30 minutes. And we'll look ahead to the NCAA tournament and where the Tigers may end up. That's next on our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB and ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, down here live at the Power and Light District right next door to the T-Mobile Center where Kansas and Texas will battle it out for the Big 12 Championship later on tonight at 5 p.m. And you can listen to that right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We will go back to the phone lines. We will talk some college basketball. Once again, Missouri basketball, more importantly, with Drew King of PowerMizzou.com. Drew, thanks for coming on the show this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. So, Drew, let's go back to their performance yesterday against the Tennessee team that they'd already beaten in Knoxville on a buzzer beater earlier on. But... I really am starting to question why Dennis Gates isn't getting more popularity, more praise for what he's done in just one year at Missouri and a Missouri team that was a 12 seed in the SEC tournament last year. They get a double by this year. Why isn't Dennis Gates getting the recognition that he deserves? Um, your guess is probably as good as mine. I'm not, I'm not quite sure he doesn't get um, the recognition, you know, he did win Coach of the Year in the USA Today poll that they put out, um, but he did not get Coach of the Year with the SEC head coaches and the Associated Press. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, but I agree with you that like what he's done this season is, is pretty remarkable. You know, they were voted to finish 11th in the preseason poll, um, and they've climbed all the way up to the number four seed, and they're in the Final Four in the SEC tournament. Um, and he's doing it with um, a dozen newcomers on the team. Right? He only had three players that stuck around from last year's roster. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been really impressive what he's been able to do this year. Uh, Demoy Hodge was ridiculous yesterday against Tennessee, led them in scoring with 26 points. Has there been a more impactful transfer 
that we've seen in Missouri in the last five, six, maybe even seven years, or is it Demoy Hodge in a runaway? That's a pretty good question. I, this is my first year on the beat, so I don't know about five or six years ago. <laughs> um, but it, considering this year, um, he's definitely been probably the most impactful newcomer that they've had. Um, he's one of the leaders in the nation in steals this season, and I think he's also leading the team in three-pointers by far. Um, he was a candidate to make the all-defensive team for the SEC. Didn't quite make it on there, but um, he's really been somebody who um, the team relies on on both ends of the floor. And so, um, you know, I, I think part of that has to do with he's really comfortable with Dennis Gates. He played for him at Cleveland State for two years before transferring here. So, um, but, but he's definitely been um, – somebody that Mizzou can count on game in and game out. When you look at a guy like Kobe Brown, more of a stretch four at 6'8", 250 pounds, but last year shot just 21% from three-point range. This year he's over 45%. I know it is your first year on the beat, but has he put much of an emphasis into that? When you guys have talked to him, have he said how much he's worked on that to try to be uh, more of a well-rounded player to not only be able to score inside, but to be able to stretch his game beyond the perimeter? Yeah, so I actually did a little bit of a deep dive for Mizzou's senior game last week, and um, I was talking to uh, Kobe's dad, uh, Coach Brown, um, and he he said that, you know, Kobe was considering his options after Mizzou made the coaching change last year. One of those options was to potentially um, jump up and enter into the NBA draft, and so they put in for NBA feedback to kind of get evaluated and see where Kobe would go, and the feedback they got was that he would most likely go undrafted and that if he wanted a shot to get drafted, he needed to improve his three-point shot. And so that's absolutely something that he really put in the work on this offseason. And he gives a lot of credit to Coach Gates for, for giving him confidence this year, too. Um, he, he said that there was a practice during the summer where he kind of turned to Coach Gates. He's like, is, is that a shot you want me to take? Do you want me to take threes? And Coach Gates told him, I'll take you out of the game if you don't shoot that. So um, that's been kind of the biggest turnaround for him. I think he's got his confidence back. He said that he was a good shooter in high school and just kind of um, it, it, it hasn't trans- hadn't translated when he got to college, and this year it has. Missouri right now at 24-8 and eight on the year, and per Joe Lunardi, he has them as an 8 or a 9 seed in the NCAA tournament. But, Drew, if they do find a way to beat Alabama this afternoon, tipping off here in about 20 minutes, the Crimson Tide are a 10-point favorite, how far could that catapult them up in the seedings? Could they get as high as maybe a 5 or a 6, or are they pretty much cemented somewhere between a 7, 8, or a 9 seed? Yeah, so right now I'm looking at bracketmatrix.com, which um, tracks over 100 different bracket projections. Um, the ones that have come out today so far have Mizzou as either a 6, 7, or 8. Most of them have them as a 7, um, and, and I think the average is like 6.96, something like that. So um, I, I think that right now they're probably looking at a 6 or a 7 seed. Um, if they get the win today, um, you could say that that should probably move them up to a 5 or a 6, um, but what we've seen in recent years is that the NCAA selection committee um, doesn't really value the conference tournament games as much as people probably think that they should. Um, you look at Texas A&M last year who made it all the way to the championship game and didn't get into the NCAA tournament. So um, I, I think that a win over Alabama probably should bump them up to at least a six seed, but um, there's no way to tell for sure. 
We're talking with Drew King of PowerMizzou.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at DrewKing02022. I want to look more uh, more of a deep dive here at this Alabama game with the Crimson Tide being a 10-point favorite. Of course, Alabama, the top team in the SEC. They've been one of the top teams in the country. But Missouri coming off a very impressive win once again against the Tennessee team that at one point in time was ranked top five in the nation. I know they're also down a point guard. But looking at this Alabama game, what needs to happen for Missouri to pull off this upset, a second straight upset in the SEC tournament? So one thing with Missouri that's been a trend for this year is, is they really seem to play to, most of the time, seem to play to the level of their competition, right? So sometimes that means that they're going to uh, beat Ole Miss by just five points, even though Ole Miss is one of the worst teams in the SEC. Um, but sometimes that means that they're going to go out and beat Tennessee by eight in the SEC tournament. Um, and so with this Alabama team, um, you know they lost earlier in the year by 21 points. Um, but Kobe Brown did not play in that game. So I think that you're hoping for, um, you know, a little bit of an element of surprise with Kobe playing in this one because Alabama hasn't gone up against them this year. Um, they obviously need to shoot the ball really well to keep up with Alabama's offense. Um, and then on defense, I think that they need to really pressure the ball and try to get as many turnovers as they can. Um, Alabama turns it over on 18.8% of possessions, according to Ken Palm, and Mizzou is one of the best teams at, at generating steals. And so um, I think that's a place that Mizzou could really find an edge in today's game. We know Kobe Brown is a phenomenal player leading the team in scoring with 16.2 points per game. He also leads them in rebounds with over six boards per game. Demoy Hodge, we talked about a lot. He's their best shooter. He's also their best defender, averaging more than two and a half steals per game. But if there was an X factor on this Missouri team to get them into a deep run in the NCAA tournament, Drew, who would that be? I would say that it would be DeAndre Golston. Um, he's somebody who, who doesn't get a whole lot of credit until he really – uh, makes a big play like hitting a buzzer beater over Tennessee at Tennessee. Um, but he's a guy who um, really is, is kind of the third option on offense and brings a different game than everybody else on the roster. So um, he's, he's only averaging 32% from outside, but he's a guy who can break a defender down off of the dribble and get to the rim and either finish there or kick it out for an open three. Um, he's, he's somebody that you know, Mizzou doesn't have a lot of as far as dribble penetration. Um, and, and, you know, he had a pretty decent game yesterday against Tennessee scoring 10 points. So um, if Mizzou was to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, I think it's because Golston um, starts, you know, really stepping up his play and, and putting in some good performances. We're talking with Drew King, Mizzou Hoops writer for PowerMizzou.com and Rivals. We just talked about what maybe needs to happen for this team to make a deep run in March. And, of course, it really comes down to matchups in the NCAA tournament. Missouri's not a big team. They're a quick team. They want to go out and transition. But maybe what would be the downfall of this team? What would go wrong for Missouri if they weren't maybe able to make it out of the first weekend? So Mizzou is a pretty good three-point shooting team. They make about 36% of their threes on the season. But they're really hot and cold, right? So, like, their first game against Tennessee, um, they shot 53%, which nobody does that against Tennessee. Tennessee's the number one three-point shooting defense in the country. Um, but other times, the shots don't fall, right? I think they were three for 28 the last time they played Alabama. Um, and, and so that's something that could definitely happen in one of these games in March is you see Mizzou just have a cold night. They see the shots don't fall. They lose a little bit of confidence. Um, and, and 
typically when that happens, the defense isn't good enough to make up for it. Um, and so that's kind of what you're looking for with Mizzou. And then on top of that, you know, they're one of the weaker uh, defensive rebounding teams in the country. Um, most teams out-rebound them and get a lot of second-chance points against them, which is why Mizzou has to generate as many turnovers as they do to get some of those possessions back. So uh, those would be the two things I would look out for if Mizzou ends up getting eliminated early sometime in March. Last couple questions for you here, Drew. Per Joe Lunardi's most recent bracket projection, he has Missouri as a seven seed playing in Sacramento in the West region against 10-seeded Penn State out of the Big Ten. The second-round matchup, the round of 32 matchup, would likely be against a two-seeded UCLA team. Would you be satisfied with a seven seed for Missouri and being on that side of the bracket, the one seed being Houston, the two being UCLA, or are you really holding out for hope that Missouri can get maybe in that five or six seed range? I think that for Missouri, you know, most people had them on the 8-9 line for the longest time. And so I think the main goal going into the tournament was to get off of that line. So uh, by taking that win over Tennessee, I would say, you know, mission accomplished for them. Um, so I, I think that a 5 or 6 seed would definitely help the team. But um, I, I think they'd be feeling pretty all right with the 7 seed. And I did this with my last guest, Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCut.com, when comparing Jerome Tang and Dennis Gates. And I gave him the floor and I said, make a case as to why Jerome Tang has done a better job in year one than Dennis Gates. And I'm going to ask the exact same question for you, Drew. Give me a case as to why Dennis Gates has done a better job in year one at Missouri than Jerome Tang has at Kansas State. Um, I think it's just that Dennis started out with, less right you had kobe brown coming back and he was an all sec second team guy um but he wasn't a super duper star right he, he was averaging about 12 points a game um and now he's averaging 16 and so i think dennis gates gets a lot of credit for kind of his progression and then um the other thing with dennis is like he didn't really miss with any of the transfers that he brought in and i feel like every single guy that he added has been a pretty big contribution to this team's success this year um, there hasn't been a guy you can point to who said like he didn't really help us and so um, that would be my case for dennis gates it's just that he was able to um, make a gigantic turnaround um, in just the first year that he got there well, Drew, really appreciate your time this afternoon and have fun covering the game here in about 13 minutes. Definitely will. Thanks, y'all. There he goes. That's Drew King, Mizzou Hoops writer for PowerMizzou.com and on Rivals. We'll take our final break of the show. When we come back, we will just take one last look at that entire 68-team bracket projection that Joe Lunardi put out. It was updated this morning. We'll give you where all the local teams are headed and where those matchups are because we only have one more time to do this because tomorrow we will have selection Sunday, and you can listen to Sports Radio 810 WHB as Josh Briscoe and I will have that breakdown from 4.30 to 8. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, that full look at Joe Lunardi's Bracketology on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB and on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. I am your host, Jack Johnson, broadcasting live from the Power and Light District down in KC Mo, right next door to the T-Mobile Center where Kansas and Texas will tip off here in about 
five hours or so. Missouri and Alabama will be tipping off here in about ten minutes. And then tomorrow, no more games to be played here locally as we'll just be awaiting selection Sunday, and you can listen to that on Sports Radio 810 WHB. One programming note that I do want to hit on, I want to thank Shane Summers uh, for pointing this out to me. Due to KU playing in the championship game tonight, Sporting KC will be broadcasted on 1510 ESPN Kansas City, and of course KU pregame and KU Texas and KU postgame will all be right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Before we close out our show, let's get an entire rundown on the final bracket projection done by Joe Lunardi. He has the Kansas Jayhawks as the number one overall seed. The first team out he has is another Big 12 foe in Oklahoma State following their loss to Texas on Thursday. Arizona State, who lost by 19 to Arizona last night, he has them as the last team in. As for the last four buys, he has Penn State taking on Missouri as a 10-seed Providence, Utah State, and Rutgers. The last four in, he's got Mississippi State, NC State, Pittsburgh, and Arizona State as for the first four out. Of course, we mentioned Oklahoma State. Lunardi also has Nevada, Clemson, and Vanderbilt, who is taking on, I believe, in the SEC semifinals game. I'm blanking on it at the moment. They are going to be taking on... Texas A&M, excuse me. Yes, because A&M beat Arkansas yesterday. Vanderbilt is the sixth seed. Jerry Stackhouse squad at 20 and 13. Likely need to win to get into the NCAA tournament because right now Lunardi has them as one of the first four out. As for the next four out, Lunardi has Wisconsin, North Carolina, who lost to Virginia a couple days back. Oregon and Michigan, North Carolina, would be the first preseason number one in the 68-team bracket to miss the NCAA tournament, the 64-68 team bracket, because, of course, the mid-'70s NC State Wolfpack were the only other to do so, preseason number one team that did not make it to the NCAA tournament. As for the Dayton play-in games, Lenardi has Pittsburgh and Arizona State battling it out as 11 seeds. As for the 16-seed matchups, he's got Southeast Missouri State and Farley Dickinson. The other 16-seed matchups, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Howard. And the other 11-seed matchups, he's got Mississippi State and NC State. As for the Midwest region, he of course has Kansas and Des Moines taking on Grambling State as a 16 seed. The 8-9 matchup would be Iowa and Auburn. The 5-12 projection would be Duke and Charleston. The 4-13 being Xavier and Louisiana. Sean Miller, former Arizona Wildcat coach, doing a great job at Xavier. The 6-11 matchup would be San Diego State and the winner of Pittsburgh and Arizona State, the three seed being Tennessee, which is kind of a shock to me after their loss to Missouri yesterday. They'll be taking on 14-seeded Southern Utah, who erased a 23-point deficit last night. Lunardi has them right now as a 14-seed. The seven-seed being Northwestern out of the Big Ten, taking on 10-seeded Boise State. And the two-seed, Arizona Wildcats, who will take part in the Pac-12 championship tonight against UCLA, taking on 15-seeded Colgate. Now, real quickly in the final two minutes, running down the other regions, Alabama as the one in the south, taking on A&M, Corporate Trichy, or Howard, the 8-9 being Maryland, West Virginia. 5-12, Iowa State and VCU, the four-seed Virginia, taking on 13-seeded Iona. Miami is the six-seed, Rutgers the 11-seed. Marquette and Shaka Smart is a three-seed. Furman is the 14-seed. Kentucky as the seven after the loss to Vanderbilt. 10-seed USC in that matchup. The two-seed would be Texas, taking on Kansas tonight. 15 seed would be Kennesaw State. In the West, Houston as the one seed against Northern Kentucky is the 16. Arkansas is the eight. Illinois as the nine seed. Five seed would be TCU after their loss to Texas last night. The 12 seed would be Drake. Four seed 
and Indiana out of the Big Ten against 13-seeded Yale. The sixth seed in the West region would be Creighton, taking on the winner of Mississippi State and NC State. The three seed would be Gonzaga, taking on UC Santa Barbara as the 14 seed. As we mentioned, the seventh seed in that region would be Missouri, taking on 10-seeded Penn State. And the two would be UCLA against UNC Asheville as the 15. And lastly, in the East region, Purdue would be the one seed, taking on the winner of Southeast Missouri State and Farley Dickinson. The eight would be Florida Atlantic, taking on nine-seeded Memphis. The five seed would be Texas A&M, taking on 12-seeded Oral Roberts. The four seed would be Kansas State, taking on 13-seeded Toledo. The six 11 matchup would be St. Mary's versus Utah State. The three seed would be UConn, taking on 14-seeded Vermont, the Catamounts out of the American East. The seven seed would be Michigan State, taking on 10-seeded Providence. And lastly, out of the Big 12, the two seed would be the Baylor Bears, in the East region, taking on Montana State. That'll wrap up our special March Madness show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We will have our selection show tomorrow from 4.30 to 8 p.m. Hope you enjoyed. Big thank you to our guests in Braden Turner and Ryan Gilbert and Drew King. You enjoy the championship game between Kansas and Texas that you can listen right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB.